GM friends, and welcome to the Metacast Crypto Corner brought to you by Navic. I'm your host, Nico Verreke, and today I'm joined by Tim Shell, Threepwave, and Lord of a Few, who is also known as Loaf. And as you might be able to guess from these names, or if you're watching this on YouTube uh, from our cameras or non-existent cameras, our discussion today will be focused on the more Web3 native uh, side of games. Um, if you might remember uh, an episode we did a few months ago about loot. Um, and so today, it's been a bit more than one year since loot was created. And I thought it was a great opportunity to get these builders back on the show to discuss um, the current state of loot, um, where we're at, how things have evolved, um, lessons learned, how we're excited for the future. Um, and, you know, if people are excited, how, how they can help and contribute to this growing ecosystem universe that is the, the Lootverse. Um, I've got, I've, I've had some, some compliments about, you know, how well things were explained last time and, and specifically by, by Tim Shell, who's also here. He's one of the driving forces in the whole Loot ecosystem. So Tim, why don't you bring us back a bit and talk about, you know, the initial vision for Loot and, and a bit about everything that's happened um, over the past year. Right on, GM, everybody. Uh, loot year two. I cannot believe this has been a year of Threep and Loaf and Loot Hero and the rest of this crew uh, working together on this crazy adventure. But yeah, today I think we're going to unpack a lot of it. But so Loot year two, before we dive into year two and the road ahead and I think what we've learned and the seeds that have been planted that we're thinking about for this future fair to go backwards a little bit. Uh, I don't think we want to spend too much time on where loot came from, uh, but let's spend a little bit here. So top line, I'd frame the sort of the conversation here as the evolution from loot to the loot verse. So loot itself is an NFT project launched by Dom Hoffman. Uh, out of nowhere, this magnetic pulse in the universe, a lighthouse for builders, uh, this pull sort of across the ecosystem of builders and creators and uh, geeks and others saying, hey, what, what is this thing? I feel like I need to participate in this. And bam, uh, out of loot was born the Lootverse. Um, and what the Lootverse is, is this interconnected, sort of infinitely expansive, but still like loosely, slightly cohesive fantasy universe that we're building together. It's a game world. It's a media project in terms of uh, multimedia, hypermedia, different forms of media, stories, art, etc. Uh, it's a foundation for a bunch of utilities that have been built, and a bunch of open source code that's been deployed into the world for you know, all sorts of reasons. Um, and it's been, you know, this is a, a word that's overused for sure, but at the core, it's been a community in that Loot has brought people together. I think the Discord has like 90,000 people inside of it now. And I think 90,000 probably is a, a big overestimate since Discord sometimes can get so crazy. But it's definitely thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands, if you, you know, think about the holders of all the Lootverse items, who've come together and said, hey, we see something here and we're not exactly sure what it is, but it feels special and it feels important and it feels fun um, and it feels intriguing and you know, it feels magnetic to us. And so what... What this conversation today is going to be about is almost less so about loot and more about this infinitely expansive game world, media world, uh, decentralized universe that we're building together 
between Biblioteca, which is Loaf's uh, brainchild, and uh, this game ecosystem between Crypts and Caverns, which Threep is going to talk about today, uh, between stuff I've been working on, Genesis Project and the Eye, Open Quill, you know, between uh, Loot Explorers and Hyper Loot and Portals and Passages and you know, yada, 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 the Crypt. There's a bunch of projects that sort of collectively make up this thing we call the Lootverse. Um, and so I'll maybe I'll end that that little intro about what loot is by saying, if loot year one was about establishing this magnetic foundation and presenting us in some ways with a time machine to like what the future of collaborative work could be, um, if you, loot year one was like establishing a rich foundation and starting to build the uh, architecture on top of it, uh, loot year two is about building a sustainable system on top of that foundation um, and loot year two and maybe that's through year 10 or through year whatever uh, to me is going to be defined by how it can build a uh, infinitely expansive and still cohesive ecosystem but in a sustainable way where it's not just uh, you know, a quiet foundation that's quietly allowing people to show up and raise their hand and say hey this is interesting what is this place uh, but also can play a more active role uh, in building this virtuous cycle of self-reinforcing value creation. That sounds like a ridiculous mouthful that I just threw out there. Uh, but what I mean by that is that when we as builders, when Realms improves its you know, game foundation, when Crypt and Caverns uh, in the community starts to come up with some sort of new lore or feature, when writers in the loot community publish new content and create new characters, like when all of this activity happens, Instead of happening in parallel silos, where each project is just like one branch or one sprout coming out of the ground, these projects can really influence each other and they can uh, provide value to each other where a character can cross between projects, where a user's player can pop up in you know, multi, multiple parts of this universe, where things you learn in one side get applied to the other side, both sort of conceptually as a user, but also technically. Um, and so we're, I'm sure we're going to get into some of that today, uh, again, really driven by you know, Biblioteca DAO as an anchor force behind the Lootverse. Uh, we've just, I think, arrived at the next chapter of Loot in terms of the advancement of that foundation and the beginnings of building that sustainable system on top of it. That's all very meta, but uh, Threep and Loaf, please dive in, add on to that. Sure. I think... Uh... You know, it was interesting that you said that the, the biblioteca is 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 the force. I think that loaf, uh, the force of will that is loaf, is actually the force that is keeping that that the gravity and the the gravity well pulling everyone into this universe at the moment. Uh, but you'll hear from him in a minute. Uh, my name is Threepwave. Um, uh, my background is in virtual reality and virtual worlds. Uh, I work on a project called Crips and Caverns, and Crips and Caverns is a set of on-chain dungeon maps. Um, you know, Tim covered what loot is why it's special, et cetera. I thought it might be helpful for me to touch on why in reflection after a year, I believe in the ethos of loot. And to me, what loot did that was very special was two things. It wasn't that it created a bunch of items on the internet. To me, that's interesting. But I feel like the first thing it did that was special is it gave us constraints. And it made us feel like we can build. If you look at the creative process, it's very, very difficult for any artist or creator or programmer or anyone creating something in the world to put what is in their heart and put that out in the world. 
it's a very difficult process. And one of the hardest things is that you can create anything. And I think loot for me, at least, gave me a constraint. And that constraint was black text, white words, very simple, modular, composable items. And when I saw that within an RPG universe, we call it, we are adventurers, we are going on adventures, that gave me just enough of a boundary to figure out where I fit into that box and say, okay, I can do something here. And so that to me was one really powerful thing that happened a year ago. Number two was that the ethos behind loot was not, as was mentioned at the beginning by Nico, a single vision holder saying, this is what we should do. And as much as sometimes in the very beginning, I wanted Dom to say, Dom, just tell us what it should be and what it's going to be. It's actually very powerful for us to come together and define what this thing can be as a group. We all are empowered collectively to figure out what the future of loot looks like. And that's very different than most games you see today. And those two things have taken me from thinking, okay, I'm going to build an on-chain set of maps to now thinking about things like, what if every item wasn't just composable and could be plugged in together? What if contracts were composable? What if any builder and developer out there could come together and build systems for a bigger game and make this thing bigger than it already is? And so that's what excites me about Loot still today. What excited me from the beginning? The main thing that's changed for me, I have a little more time these days. And I feel like we're starting to get real games and experiences and lore out there in the world. And we're not just talking about it, and now we're doing it. Yeah. Um, ditto to uh, <laughs> what Tim and Threep just said. Uh, I share the same sentiment about about loot. And, you know, um, sorry, Jam, well, I'm, uh, I'm low-fi. <laughs> I'm one of the uh, um, core devs at Bibliotheca DAO. And uh, we've been building uh, our on-chain you know, game for almost a year now. Um, and just following on from, from what Threep said about the constraints and what sniped me mostly about loot was it's it's not just the constraints of loot that sniped me. That was, that I found that very interesting. Um, this like open source world build and, you know, you can build whatever you want on it. And it's this creative canvas you can go um, crazy on. Um, I've always been fascinated with just this idea of running, um, you know, entire um, complex applications on this on like a shared substrate, which is the uh, which is the blockchain. And so, uh, from the very beginning, um, myself and Redbeard, when we kind of first got stuck into loot, we were like, "Well, we want to build a game that pulls these loot, you know, items together." But we will. We want to run it all on chain, and so for the last year, um, we've been figuring out how to do that. Um, and so uh, we originally started running this uh, game on Arbitrum, but we ran into some constraints. So we kind of, uh, I think we made a proposal back in October. That was a long time ago, about bringing the whole loot first to Starknet because we thought it was, um, well, we think it is going to be the most expressive blockchain to for on-chain games. And so really what we've been trying to do for the last year, uh, it's definitely been an insane year, um, is you know try to figure out how to build um, immersive and uh, scalable on-chain games. Um, and so uh, Threep's, we're all actually, Tim, Tim and Threep are part of the DAO, um, and we're all building this world. And we're, we are getting quite close to, um, you know, 
fun functioning games. Um, but it's been a challenge and it's, it's still early in this cycle. So Loaf, let me jump in on that if I can. Sorry, Nico. Uh, I just, I love the way you just phrased that at the end there that you said the Threep and Tim Shell are part of the DAO. I kind of love that. And I want to use that as an opportunity just to say for people who are listening to this, who are maybe like web three curious or web three skeptical or something. When we say that, what we mean is that the DAO, the decentralized autonomous organization, big words, uh, is open and that anybody who's intrigued by this and anybody who wants to participate in this and anybody who's curious to learn more or be part of this in any capacity uh, is welcome to join. Now, not all DAOs are permissionless, meaning like some DAOs, you have to do a whole application process and apply to be part of it. And what's unique and interesting about Loot and the Lootverse and Biblioteca DAO is that it is more of a permissionless foundation. You know, three was talking about the ethos of loot. I think that really fits the ethos of loot, sort of that thou mayest join, thou mayest build. You know, everybody's welcome energy. And so if you're listening to this uh, and curious, you can join the DAO too. Um, you can jump into the Discord. That's where most of the action happens for the Lootverse, either the Loot Discord or the Biblioteca Discord. And so just start to follow along, ask questions like, everybody is present what's ridiculous sometimes about this world is it's so 24 7 so if even while you're listening to this on youtube or wherever you're listening to this you say oh, i'm curious find the discord open it up even while you're still listening ask a question and i'll almost guarantee that somebody in real life with live will genuinely and thoughtfully uh, reply back to you uh, this is a, a whole new model for how teamwork works and collaboration works and it's messy and crazy and frustrating and uh, hair-wrenching and whatever other words you want to put uh, at times. But it's also beautiful and joyful and uh, really effective if you can harness it well. Loaf and Threep and I uh, didn't know each other before this. Loot brought us together. Uh, and you know, people joke like, oh, community and internet friends and whatever, but there's a lot of truth to it. Uh, I'm sure you can see it hear it in our voices as we talk. Uh, but there's a real sense of belonging that the Lootverse creates, and there's a real sense of sort of magnetic energy and vision and sort of collective, a collective dream that's being built together. Uh, so my, my headline on that point is, if you're interested, uh, when Loaf says DAO, uh, what he also means is, you know, that's an invitation, come join us. Mm, and if you're a developer or a storyteller, um, there's always something to do. And there's all, our, all the codes open source, so, you know, you don't even have to talk to us. You can just go and uh, see an issue on GitHub and, and tackle it. And just to, a note on that, um, all the core developers in Biblioteca DAO, before they became core developers, they actually contributed to the um, some of the open source code, um, which is quite, which is a beautiful thing. And then they became core developers. So there's always, there's always, there's a lot to build. You know, sorry, I'm going to just keep, I'm going to just keep saying one more thing here. I realize like we are talking in crazy crypto web three you know, language sometimes. Um, and so maybe just one more comment about what it is that we're building through all of this. <laughs> uh, if you don't really know much or again, are skeptical about this world. Imagine if Lord of the Rings or say, I don't know, Harry Potter, if you want to go that direction or Game of Thrones, maybe if you go the other direction, Imagine if those, instead of being owned by just one corporation who hires a bunch of writers and owns all the IP and 
puts out movies and books and games and stories and art and whatever else around it you know, enables some fan fiction, but mostly says, hey, this is our property. Imagine that the richness of that world and the kind of fractal expansion of that world was in the hands of the public domain and that anybody could collectively come in and say, I'm going to build a game. I'm going to write a story. I'm going to make a movie. I'm going to make music. I'm going to make art. I'm going to write a book. Uh, I'm going to work together with other people to weave my character for my story into somebody else's game. Uh, I'm going to build a utility for this thing. And that you didn't have to call up HBO or Electronic Arts or whoever and ask permission, but you could just join. Uh, That's what loot is. It's a decentralized fantasy franchise, if you will, uh, collectively owned and created by the community. Got it. Um, I'm going to sometimes play a bit of the advocate of the devil here and tell you guys that you're too meta for this um, and sometimes push back. I'm, I'm curious. So loot started as a primitive, as assets, you know, as a three described, a black background, white text, eight items that together form equipment for an adventure. I see that as a primitive. Um, and what has been built on top of that are other primitives that form the foundation of this whole world. Could you give me some tangible examples of some of the primitives that have been built, that are being built, that will, you know, help this whole space move forward? Lo, if you want to give some suggestions and then perhaps uh, Threep and Tim can also join in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like loot was really, it was the law layer and the data layer. And from the original contract, um, but I'll explain kind of what how we've interpreted it and what we're doing. Um, and so, well, every derivative is kind of spawned from loot. Um, there's some that, like, I guess are more canonical and some that are not. But I guess the thing is you don't have to be canonical. You can go in any direction you want. Um, we, we've tried to stay uh, true to the contract and, and treat the contract as, you know, as canon. And um, But, you know, the reality is that... Uh, you know, loot being on mainnet, you can't really do that much with it from a kind of a game perspective. Um, and so we're kind of migrating it all to Starknet, which will allow it to be um, used in a much more, I guess, dynamic fashion. And so we're we're splitting up all the loot items um, uh, into the individual bits. Um, and we're also creating um, on-chain characters, which will allow you to equip the loot items. Um, but, you know, everything that we do with that, um, uh, yeah, we're treating it from like a composable composability point of view, where they everything will interrupt with one another, and everything will still be permissionless. So we've just taken the loot contract and we split it into its eight bits, um, and we've created a couple other contracts. And now, with those um, more, I guess, usable contracts that are on Starknet, which are a much cheaper environment to do things, um, developers can come along and build on top of that. Um, and so that's the approach that we're taking. Um, uh, with with some of these other primitives, so these are gaming oriented mostly primitives, right? The, the, exactly, yeah, yeah. So um, you know, Bibliothekadao, you know, we're focused on um, building on chain games. That's kind of our core vision: is to build the loot verse, like the to build the game for the loot verse um, on Starknet. So everything we do um, it revolves around that. And uh, the, the loot items that we've created are, um, you know, the loot items, they have their own statistics. 
and whatnot, and you can take them and you can incorporate them into um, any game that you build on Starknet. So it was, I guess it's creating, we've, we've created more composable version of the loot bags, um, but still true to the original contract. Got it. And so just uh, for the listeners that haven't followed, because we've, we've talked about Starknet a bunch. Essentially, Starknet is a layer two scaling solution that makes transactions way cheaper, um, which makes it that we can actually do way more stuff on chain. We don't have to be too careful for too many interactions that can get expensive. Um, okay, got it. Um, Loaf, while we're at it, could you talk about more, like more practically, what game you're building? Because I can imagine some of the game developers that are listening to this being like, you know, what the hell, on-chain games, how does that work? What, what does this look like? I have no idea. Um, could you go a bit more into that? Mm, well, the, it's funny. What does it, that question, like, what does it look like? Um, I, you know, Threep and I have been trying to answer that for a while now. And I don't think anybody really has the answer to, you know, what, you know, what does, what, what does an on-chain game look like? It's like, it's kind of analogous to, you know, the early, um, the early consoles, like the SNES and whatnot. Because back then, when you were d- designing a game for the SNES, you had this like fixed constraint of the hardware. And so that was all you could do. You had, so you had to squeeze everything uh, you could out of, these, um, out, of, out of that tiny bit of hardware. So the developers came up with very um, interesting games that revolved around that constraint. And that's what created the fun, was the constraint. Um, and so it was a new medium um, you had to design for. And so it's kind of similar to what we're trying to do with this new medium, which is the blockchain. Um, and on this new medium, uh, there's some quirky parts to it, uh, meaning like, you know, all the information's open. Um, it's all running on this public chain. Uh, the, there's a little bit of latency because, you know, everybody's writing their information to the chain. Um, there's no central server uh, changing the information like in a traditional, um, you know, uh, networked game. Um, and so that's kind of like, yeah, like, so, and, and like, I think in this ty- cycle of on-chain games, it's still so early. Um, and there are like, I think there's about to be an, a camera and explosion of on-chain games. And now that the technology kind of is capable of handling it. Um, yeah, but it's still very early and it's, you know, it's kind of this weird and wonderful stage where everyone's trying to figure out what an on-chain game is and trying to figure out, you know, the, what's a fun mechanic with these constraints and whatnot. And so that's exactly what we're trying to figure out. Um, and the, the, the game, like the core game that we're building revolves around loot realms and loot realms were one of the first loot derivatives, which are um, 8,000 generative maps and they have resources and they have specific traits on them. And so in this first game that we're, um, which we've been building, um, and we've, been really re- we've been really building the tech stack to enable not just this game, but like all the other games that we produce in the future. Um, but the first game is really uh, revolves around these 8,000 realms and they're all situated on this um, gigantic map with X, Y, and coordinates. And uh, you take, you have, if you have a realm, you can settle your realm and you can start generating resources. Um, and once you started, once you've generated those resources, you can build up your realm, you know, you can build barracks and castles. And then with those buildings, you can build armies. Um, and then with those armies, you can go and travel to other places in the realm verse um, and, you know, and fight wars and, and steal resources from other realms. Um, and so that's kind of like the core meta of that, of, of the first release. Um, and all that logic and all that state exists on on chain, and so we just have our visual client 
which we're you know we're going to make uh, look good, but really it's just an interpretation of the information that's on on chain. Um, and so that's the kind of core. That's like the first game that we're building, um, and it's just kind of laying the foundation for this ever expanding uh, lootverse. Um, and like uh, Threep's, Threep's project, Crips and Caverns, is going to be in the next release. And we're porting them to StarkNet. And um, they're going to be generative dungeons. And uh, we have to do some fun things with that. Um, but it's really like, it, it's, it's uh, as Tim has been talking about, like this is an invitation to any developer that wants to come and build. Is you, can, um, you can take our printers that we've designed and, you know, Copy our code. And we've 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 done all the hard yards, um, trying to design this tech stack, and so you can take that and build on top um, and build into this world um, as you wish. Well, I think it would be really cool if you could take us from because I've been on this journey with you, but not everyone has. Like, get really tactical. Like, if you think about the game itself, like how did the realms game start? What was the initial idea? And then what did you iterate? And like, you're in the process of like finding the fun and going from like, okay, you found something that's fun. Can you talk us through like, where did you start? And then like, what did you find that was fun? Like what's changed at the development process and where are you now in terms of like game mechanics and how you play the game? Yeah, um, I would definitely still, you know, trying to answer that question. You know, what is the fun? Um, I think, you know, in, in games, it's about agency and about choice. And so it's like, you know, I have a realm, what can I do with it? Um, and then from a designer, well, developer point of view, it's like, well, how do we make, how, how do we give players choice in this whole new constraint? Um, and so that's like the original game didn't have any travel. It didn't have any coordinates. Um, and we, we quickly realized it doesn't, doesn't give the player enough agency to move around. And, and it, it's all about choice, really, in any game. It's like, do I do this? Do I do that? Um, and so that's what we're really, really leaning into is uh, trying to give as much agency as possible to the players. Um, and it's, it's all like uh, this game that we're, you know, we're about, we will release, will, you know, it will last for the length of Ethereum, really. Uh, you know, it's all running on this public chain. Um, nothing's going to take it down. So once production's live, it'll, it will just continue to exist. And, you know, People will empires will rise and fall within it, um, but the game will always go on. So yeah, it, it's it's definitely an iterative process um, in trying to figure out the fun. Um, but that's like designing any game. You know, you start with your original thesis and you just keep evolving it from there. Super exciting. Um, and one of the things I want to do is is get on a one on one with you, Loaf, and just talk about a deep dive into realms and and what exactly you're building and how it works. Um, I'm curious to also get a, an idea of why people get involved in the loot first. So the way you're speaking, it's as if everyone's just like really excited about this and just wants to help and, and, and do something. But unfortunately we live in a world where we have to pay rent and, and pay for food. Um, how does, how does that work? Loaf, you've built a team of people that are helping you. Um, could you tell us like practically how it works? You're like a very decentralized organization. You probably don't even know the first names of a lot of people you work with. So, like, how are people getting rewarded for this? Why, like, if 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 anyone wants to like is really inspired here and wants to quit their job, like, how will they still be able to put food on the table? Yeah, it's. I think it's definitely early um, in that sense. Um, and just to you know recap, I've built businesses in the real world, and 
when I started this project, I just told myself, like, let's just do this organization totally Web3, you know, for better or worse. And so that has come with its challenges. Um, but, you know, we do have our core contributors are paid directly in ETH. Um, you know, we don't have a, uh, we're not, you know, domiciled in any country. It's a totally, you know, decentralized group of people. Um, and yes, I don't know the first name of um, anybody on the team, really. Um, but that's fine because, you know, all that really matters is what you do. And so if you turn up and you push code, that's all that matters um, in this world. It doesn't matter if you're from, I think we have people from Brazil, America, Europe, and Asia. Um, so we've, we're hitting everywhere in the world. Um, who's part of the DAO and part of the core team now, which is amazing. And like, you couldn't do that in the, in, you know, in the old world, in the old world and give everyone skin in the game. Um, that's what I, that's what I, whole, I love about this whole new, really, uh, you know, Ethereum economy, which is really what it, which is really what it is. It's this whole digital economy that we're all living in. Um, we just don't quite grok that yet. Um, yeah. So yeah. And, and to, for people that are, you know, are coming into this space, uh, it, I definitely wouldn't advise quitting a job and just <laughs> trying to join a DAO. That's probably not the best move. Um, probably like the best move is if you're a developer specifically, um, try to find a, a DAO with open source um, code and you know tackle some issues. Like we have a bunch of issues on, like, we have like five repos going like, um, uh, GitHub repositories going at any time, um, and they all have issues within them, and you know anyone can come and actually tackle them. Um, and often, like me personally, if like uh, if you know if people contribute to open source code, um, and you know that that's all that really matters is like if people can see the quality of your code, then you'll get hired. Um, and if you're a talented developer in front end or back end or contracts, um, that's the best place to start. Just contribute to an open source project in part of your free time, and you never know what will come from that. I think we also see a few other archetypes of people that show up. You know, like I think you're talking about the kind of like devs or dev curious group. There's also, um, I think there's a lot of lurkers who are just interested and curious, as Tim Shell said, to see where this crazy experiment goes. I think that's actually a big group of people. There's also speculators. There's people who maybe bought some loot. Maybe they bought some NFTs along the way. They have maybe a realm. They've got a few lords. And they're curious to see, like, what does this become? Some people might think they've got the next gold mine. Some people might just want to be along for the ride and see, like, what happens to all these weird in-game assets? Do they ever become worth anything? And I think there's another class of people who are almost like game dev curious and, or world building curious. And so you see some people, I'll just use the Crypts and Caverns Discord, for example. There are people who like to write lore about their dungeons. Um, and like loot, the Crypts and Caverns dungeons, those who haven't seen them, they are purposely very simple. They're very simple maps. They have doors and walls and floors and these things we call points of interest. And they have some color color schemes we call uh, biomes. Um, and, but people have, have written you know, short stories about their dungeons. They've taken their dungeon and woven it together with their realm to create a bigger story where there's a mage attacking other people in their realm. They've taken Genesis Adventures, which is another project that Tim Shell created within Loot, and they've said, wrote the story of their, their uh, Genesis Adventure. You have other people who create art. There's an artist uh, who just creates icons and who creates, um, has done a bunch of 3D work um, in Biblioteca DAO. And so I do think you have people who are just excited to be around a game that they can actually contribute to and where their ideas are welcome, which often doesn't happen in the rest of the game dev world, whether it be a commercial game or an open source game. And so 
those are some of the different archetypes that I've seen that are kind of just interested in and uh, rotating around this sphere. Uh, I'd like to jump in on that one too. Uh, Nico, you asked a good question. You asked sort of almost a brass tacks question like, hey, this is uh, an incredible, fantastical universe y'all are building, but how about brass tacks? Like how does somebody get incentivized to work inside of this? And so plus one to what uh, Loaf and Three just said, but I'll, I'll ask or answer with another brass tacks uh, comment here, which is that people are being rewarded for their contributions, either rewarded through, I guess, three ways, either rewarded through participating in a team like Bibliotechadao and actually getting paid for it, uh, two, rewarded through ecosystem grants. There's a, a currently active ecosystem grant round. Loot put out a 75 ETH um, matching pool into the last Gitcoin round and just put out a 50 ETH matching pool into the current Gitcoin round. And I think we have like 20 or something like that, 20, 25 grant proposals that are in the mix spanning game dev to community management to people making a podcast to writers, to artists, to you know, more uh, who are actually getting like significant, you know, maybe not like a year's salary, but significant money uh, for participating. Um, and then three is through uh, building things yourself. Um, and so again, one is like joining a team and actually having some incentive structure. Two is grants. And then three is building yourself. And uh, there's a lot of value creation opportunities within the Lootverse uh, at any scale. You know, Bibliotech is at like mega scale of a whole you know, now multinational metaverse global organization. Uh, but also people are making, you know, making art, uh, making stories, making books, making hypermedia, um, you know, making one-off projects. And not everything succeeds, just like you know, anything. You know, not every dart thrown at the dartboard hits the bullseye. Uh, but a lot of projects have succeeded within the Lootverse and builders and artists and developers and writers have been able to actually translate um, success and that feeling, I forget what word you said, three, but like you know, your idea is being welcomed and you know, contributing and creating something of value, uh, actually being able to capture some of that value. And so I'd say that if you're you know, curious about this, if you're a developer, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. But if you're not a developer, there's still lots of different places you can plug in here. Uh, if you go to gitcoin.co and just click around, you'll find the Lootverse one right on the homepage. And you can click around and see what the other uh, grants are in this current round. Uh, or if you pop into the Discord, you can also just skim the sidebar. And there's just a ton of different projects, Lootverse type projects, where each of them have their own, you know, lack of a better word, their own monetization model. Uh, and I don't think we should shy away from that. I think this is where I started this conversation off the bat that loot year two is going to be about building a sustainable system and a sustainable system creates places where people can or creates opportunities for people to become owners of the system, uh, either by owning you know, some of the native tokens that are like game tokens and the loot tokens and the Lord's tokens and whatever else, um, or by plugging in and building parts of the system and sort of creating their own pieces of the system. Uh, but a sustainable system where value is created and there's sinks and loops and value is also extracted. And I don't think that has to be a bad word. But if somebody's creating value into an ecosystem, it's okay to extract some of that value to pay for your life and your rent and your food and your family and more. Um, you know, this doesn't have to be free work, but it can be uh, a new type of work. Uh, and it's it's obviously not for everybody. And I agree with Loaf. Like, 
don't quit your day job just yet. Uh, but if you're going to sit down on the couch and spend two hours here watching Game of Thrones, come join, you know, come try it for a couple, you know, couple, couple days there, a couple of weeks, or how long is the, the new Game of Thrones prequel? It's probably 24 hours of content or something. Spend 24 hours in here building a fantasy universe with us. Um, and I think for some people, it really clicks. So as a games investor, um, I talk to a lot of teams that are building really cool stuff using Web3 technologies and, and how they apply to games. But one of the questions I always need to ask them is, how are you getting this game or this content into people's hands? How are you reaching you know, 10, 100 million people with this? I'd like to ask the same question to you. Like you, you mentioned, okay, you're building games. These are on-chain games. They're already like on the cutting edge of the cutting edge. Um, there's media, which is obviously m- like more easily approachable, easy, more easily shareable. How are you guys thinking about bringing the loofers to millions of people? It is funny. I mean, on this call, we, we do have both sides of the coin, the like media side and the game side. Uh, but yeah, go ahead with your thought. Uh, like, I think at this point, like right now, um, like Web3 gaming itself is still so early. Like it, it's actually insane how like, and that's not just a meme. Like I think the last I looked like three months ago, there was like less than a million wallets that had actually interacted with Web3 games, which is tiny. Like 76 million people played game, Clash of Clans like yesterday. Um, and so <laughs> this, I mean, this space is like just so much um, room to grow, but yeah, as, as you said, like how do you how do we reach people? Um, right now, I'm like my core focus is like building this game and like building the the tech that will enable a million people to play. Um, and I, I don't think even blockchain is there yet to have that amount of throughput. I think in about a year it will, um, uh, but it's, it's not even there yet. So um, yeah, to, I like I am. Yeah, I'm more focused on like building this uh, this high quality game, and I know that the people will come. Um, and you know, maybe some of this that 200 million dollars that just got invested will will bring a massive cohort. At this point, it's so um, it's not a zero sum to anyone working in this um, industry. Like we're all um, there, there's so much growth to have. Um, you know, gr- so much growth to go. Um, but yeah, the the question still becomes how do you how do you convince people? You know, this is going to be fun. How do you convince people that NFTs aren't a scam? I think we all have a bit of a hill to climb on that right now. But I think we're also going to have to start, you know, one of the things we're finding as we build out the Realms game and as we're thinking about kind of the next steps, um, originally, I think the idea here was that we would build out the Realms game, which was for Realms holders. Imagine them being kind of royalty within the game. Then you have uh, adventurers who are people who you don't necessarily have to own a realm to play. So we're thinking about how do we expand to a broader audience? What we're realizing in the process is that some of the core um, things that just exist in typical game dev or traditional game dev do not exist in our world. As an example, there are no push notifications triggered by the blockchain today. Push notice being like a high re-engagement channel. There is no acquisition channel you can tap into because you can't put a blockchain game currently in the Apple App Store because Apple will block you and will charge you a 30% tariff every time you want to make any transactions with your NFTs or in-game purchases. So I think there's like a series of hurdles. It's almost like the building blocks of a backend server are there in the form of the blockchain. We have a very simple identity system with your wallet that you connect. And that's about all we got so far. And so we've had to build everything else from scratch. So I think it's going to be a long time before we can hit those 
million user audiences. I would love to be proven wrong. To me, the question we need to ask today is how do we get 100 people to fall in love with this game? And if we can make that happen, I'm very confident we can get the, the next 100 and the next 100. And we could start to solve some of those questions like how do we re-engage people and get them to come back to this game over and over again every week? And so from my background, I think that's the real question we have to answer is like, how do we find our super fans? How do we get 100 people? Then how do we get 1,000 people? Then how do we get 10,000? And at that point, with the economics of blockchain games, I actually think you could have a profitable game. I don't think you need a million users building, doing free-to-play mechanics. I think you can capture a lot of value with your protocol fees, your marketplace fees, et cetera. And so to me, that's the, that's the North Star today is like, can we get... 10,000 people or even 1,000 people playing this game over and over and over again. Until that happens, I don't think we have anything near a potential long-term hit on our hands. Mm -hmm. And and Tim, how do you look at this from the the more media and the storytelling side? Yeah, I think it's two sides of the same coin. Um, I think that a game world benefits from stories. Uh, I think stories benefit from games. And I think it's a virtuous cycle between the two. Uh, and so in this universe, I think the entry point for a lot of people may not actually be like seeing something about a game and going to the website and grabbing a character and diving in. The entry point may be more like a story or a shared clip of a video or hell, maybe a movie in theaters. I mean, that's a, a big stretch, but some sort of media that maybe is less immediately demanding that you dive into it and build it together or participate in it, but you can sort of use your existing behavior, which is like just watching or just reading or just skimming. But you, you see it and you say, huh, that's interesting. That's good. That's surprising. I like that character. I like what's happening here. I want a little bit more of this. And as you dive into it, you realize like, okay, wait, this runs deep. And this runs deep in a direction that I've never thought of before. It's not like, oh, I just watched the Game of Thrones you know, series season one and wait there's six seasons of this and there's a prequel and there's a game and there's more uh now it's like wait this is interesting i can dive into here and participate in this uh, or i can dive into this and not just play a game but also help build this game world uh, or i can dive into this and grab a character and make a character and introduce my character into the, the lore um, and so i think it's still tbd as to how collaborative media takes shape and there surely will be all sorts of fits and starts and flops. But I think a little bit of storytelling goes a long way. Um, and so that's what I've been you know, focused on here, both like at the meta level, trying to help bring us together and find our shared language and give us shared spaces to you know, feel like we're uh, contributing together and to feel that magnetic energy. Uh, but also in particular, I've been spending a ton of time this year kind of experimenting at the edges of on-chain media and collaborative media and collaborative world building and community-driven canon and expansions of characters and conflicts and the way they can all fit together. Uh, I don't want to dive too much into the thing that we just launched, but we did just launch something last week in this spirit that I've been working on for a long time that uh, was a really galvanizing moment. And maybe I'll just end by saying uh, one very particular example of this is that Last week, we just launched a, if you will, an e-reader for the Lootverse, like an NFT device that contains a bunch of on-chain stories created by professional, semi-professional, amateur writers, and everything in between from the community, for the community, owned by the community. And we launched as an NFT, sold it like you do with NFTs. Uh, It brought in 200 ETH of like mint fees on day one. 
And we turned around and said, hey, let's take 100 ETH, which is in the scheme of like venture-backed companies, small, but in the scheme of building your own universe, significant. Let's take 100 ETH and let's donate it back to the Lootverse and back to writing grants and back to media grants so that anybody who's curious here and wants to participate can get a, a storytelling grant, if you will. And so now there's an untapped pool. This is now like, I don't know, seven days old or 10 days old, um, an untapped pool of 100 ETH. You know, there's a lot going on in the Lootverse, but one corner of it has this 100 ETH pool to say, uh, storytellers are welcome and you don't just have to do it for free. You know, there can be a little bit of like bootstrapping and kickstarting, a little bit of fuel to get people started. And so, you know, Loaf's comment, maybe I'm not going to be the one to write that book, but I'm hoping that uh, I can help inspire the person and invite the person who does write that you know, best-selling novel. Um, and maybe a, a little Lootverse grant can help them bridge into this universe uh, and then be on their way to their own adventure. And so, Tim Shell, what is your objective for the for year two? Like, what do you want to reach by the end of this year? What do you want the situation to be for the Lootverse? I would like to give ownership to the people who are already acting like owners in the Lootverse. That's my main goal. Uh, I think sometimes that gets missed in this universe and that sometimes DAOs are really tricky in the sense and liquid super teams and liquid work and all this stuff is really tricky. But to me, it's really special when you have someone act like an owner of something. Uh, Owner in the sense that like, this is my home. Like I keep it clean. Like this is our space, our community, our kibbutz, our you know, whatever an analogy you want to use. And like, we take responsibility for it. There are people who are in the loot verse acting like that already, but who don't even yet have any ownership uh, of the things, the stuff, the artifacts, the sort of raw loot bags, if you will, of the loot verse. So broadly speaking, I would like to, to create moments or even just give ownership to the people who are already acting like owners. But to do that, I mean, that sounds like a noble goal. Uh, to do that, though, there's a lot of structural thinking and strategy and infrastructural change that needs to happen. Um, a lot of that is happening in Bibliotech already. So I think Bibliotech is on the right path to make this happen. Uh, but I want to also do this at the level of you know, loot itself um, and then sort of set the precedent so that anybody else who's participating and joining and you know, being part of this universe uh, keeps that same ethos in their mind as they build so that the people uh, who join in and who participate actually can sort of earn um, some sort of ownership of the thing. So it's kind of broad, but that, that's what I'm hoping for. Hoping year two is the year of uh, creation of the sustainable system. When I talk about what what blockchain brings to you know the internet more broadly, not only games. For me, it's a it's a way to granularly disperse value to all participants that added it. And so you know what you describe is this universe, and everyone that brings a small piece to this universe, you know, will get a relative or like will capture a part of the the value that was added by their piece. And you know, blockchain technologies is is almost built to do that. So um, totally get that. Um, Three, what is what is your objective uh, over the next twelve months? What what do you want to to achieve, and what do you want Loot First to to be? You know, I think my objective is is more on the figuring out what's possible on the blockchain side of things. Um, I, I think that 
for me, I'm very confident that we can find a way to take the value that flows in and reward it. Um, whether it, I, I think that the blockchain does to finance what the internet did to content. And so I think it's inevitable that we'll find ways to take the small chunks of coins or tokens, et cetera, and figure out ways to divvy them up among the people adding the most value. What I don't know if, if is, is inevitable is whether this shared distributed computing platform can support and be a full game server for a compelling game or for a virtual world or for a place we want to hang out. And so what I'm really interested in exploring is can we take the typical architecture that you see in real-time experiences where you have a set of components and you have a set of systems and they are tied together very loosely and composed together. Um, can we build that on chain in a way that other contracts can become modular pieces? Historically, if you look at how games are made, typically there's a big company, they make a bunch of, uh, they hire a bunch of developers, they build their engine over a period of years, and then they crank out a bunch of content. Um, using that engine, and then maybe they ship a sequel, maybe they iterate and launch an expansion, et cetera. But that's kind of how the game in industry works. And I'm very excited to see, can we take those same core programming constructs? Can we put them on chain? And can we then see if myself building and launching my own game, can someone else come and plug their contract into that game and have it all just work together seamlessly? Because if that can happen, then you have the uh, all of the beauty of blockchain from the financial perspective of capturing and distributing value, I thought you summed it up very well, Nico, you can couple that with users who can add value at the contract level, if they're a developer, at the art level, if they're an artist, at the story level and the lore level, if they're a writer, and we will have vehicles by which they, they will have ways to plug in to these on-chain games. If we can give just a small version of that running, where we have an entity component system running on-chain, we have a game client that syncs up with it, and then one or two other groups come in and plug in a contract, plug in some art, et cetera, and we can pull that off, then you are gonna, I think we're going to see an explosion of this, the type of explosion we saw in the open source world in the late 90s, early 2000s, and mid-2000s happening in the on-chain game, virtual world, and virtual experience space. It's really fascinating. A few months ago, I had a conversation with Justin, who is um, one of the Xerox Spark leaders. Trip, are you familiar with uh, what Xerox Spark is building? I've, I'm, I would say like I watch what they do. I think I understand what they're doing, but I've never spoken to them. I'm a big admirer of what they're trying to do on chain. Yeah. Well, amongst others, I think Lattice is one of the the projects within the zero X park, uh, ecosystem that is, um, you know, I, I think, you know, trying to solve exactly what three, if you were three, if you were just describing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still an open question, but there are some, uh, some very bright minds that work to solve it. Um, loaf, what is, you, you already touched a bit upon like what you're looking to do, but in a year, what do you want to have achieved with, uh, with realms? Well, I'm, uh, has been showing me some of his early, um, prototypes what he's just described so i'm, I'm going to help him realize that um and hopefully incorporate some of that conceptual um work into what we're building um i think by the end of this year uh the the well, the, well sorry in a year from now not the end of this year a year from now the core eternum game will be live at least for six to nine months um, uh, people will be playing it and people will be governing it um, outside of, um, you know, the core team. 
as it'll be itself autonomous eternal game running. Um, I think we're going to realize that vision within the next, uh, yeah, three to six months. Um, and so that's that's uh, that that's the you know that's the number one thing to achieve. We we are going to achieve. Um, and the other thing will be the adventurers module, which we touched on briefly. I don't can't remember how deeply we got into it, but it's really this. Um, it's a it's our it's a free to play you know almost free to play version of this on chain world. I think the problem I had like the problem with a lot of the Web three games is like um, I'm not a believer in like selling an avatar, uh, like having a constrained supply on an avatar that you use within a game. Um, I want to make the avatar basically free to claim um, and value accrue in other me- in other in other ways to you know how much you play the game. Um, and so this whole adventurer module that we're bringing out will be free to free to play, basically almost free to play. We'd have to stop the bots, but it'll be almost free to play. And I hope to scale that to you know thousands of people playing, um, which will hopefully be using this entity system that. Um, Threep just described. Um, so yeah, you know, we're heads down. We're still, um, and and just just touching on what Threep, I I am in believe. I believe that we can have a very immersive, highly scalable um, shared computer, um, but I think we can do it using Starks. Um, in, in my mind, I like compressed computation, and you know, once we get to like recursive proofs, um, we're not going down that rabbit hole now, but. I, I think we can hit like hyperscale and this type of you know fully on-chain world um, that we all want to see, um, but we're not there yet. Um, but I, I I definitely believe it's possible. So yeah, um, the main Eternum game running and our adventure model, um, our adventure module um, pumping as well with thousands of people playing. So probably a lot of other stuff as well, but. We probably haven't come up with that stuff yet. The trio of answers to this question is just like the beautiful chaos of loot in a nutshell. <laughs> that we're all working towards the same goal. We talk to each other all the time. In some ways, we're all on the same team. Yet, you know, we have three visions for loot that all uh, reinforce each other. Uh, you know, I want to have a book in my hands that I can read. <laughs> Loaf wants a playable game. Three wants a uh, you know, world computer and composable contracts and more. Uh, but they all play into each other and they all are components and building blocks of a much larger thing. But yeah, the uh, controlled schizophrenia or whatever you want to call it of that uh, is a perfect little metaphor for the amazing insanity of the loot verse. Controlled schizophrenia. I'm going to remember that. If people get inspired by this, whatever they do, whatever they like doing, where can they, where will be the best place to get started? Bibliotheca DAO or uh, Discord or the Loot Discord or the Crips and Cabin Discord. Um, uh, that's probably the best place to start. It's also, I mean, if you want to dive into the Loot lore, there's Loot.Foundation, um, which gives you the backstory if you have no idea about what Loot is. Um, but I mean, you know, if you're a developer, uh, Bibliotheca DAO is probably the most active um, part of the Lootverse right now in terms of like um, developer. Like if you're curious about Starknet or building on chain games or any anything to do with that, then pop into our Discord and you can chat to me directly. Um, I'm happy to help. Fantastic. Got it. Um, all right. So I get to speak to a lot of teams who are 
trying to use Web3 technology to build new experiences, to build new games. And I sometimes get frustrated because it feels like they're not using it enough and it's very skeuomorphic. It's like, you know, I'm building this game, but then our assets are NFTs. Um, and so conversations with three of you are very refreshing because, you know, what you guys do is is so degen, is so out there, um, and I absolutely love it. And I hope um, I'm not alone and that some of the people listening also enjoy hearing this um, and maybe want to help out. So Loaf, Tim Shell, and Three Wave, um, this has been fantastic as usual. I, I love talking with you guys about what's happening on, on the weird side of the internet. Um, this has been a pleasure. So thank you for, for joining me. And then um, listeners uh, or listener, if you enjoyed this, please let us know. Also, last week I did a call out. Um, as some of you know, I will be um, stepping down as host of the Metacost. And we're still looking for um, one or two other hosts to take over. So, you know, if you could see yourself asking these on-chain legends questions and getting some of the knowledge that's in their head on this podcast, then uh, feel free to reach out to metacost at navic.co um, and um, we can have a chat and see um, if, if there's a fit there. So with that, um, that concludes the episode. I really enjoyed this and um, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you next week. Ciao.